Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. That music can only mean two things. The straightforward, obvious thing that it clearly means, and whatever it is that conspiracy theorists would have you think that it means, <laughs> right? And so that the music, of course, is appropriate because um, for this week's episode, we're talking about the philosophy of conspiracy theories. Yep. So I, when I think about conspiracy theories in pop culture, first of all, If we're considering popular culture broadly, then I'm thinking conspiracy theories are just ubiquitous right now. Yeah, they're part of pop culture as they're on into. There's movies, television, theater, conspiracy theories, books. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I so right. I I was just thinking about like every time you sign onto social media, you see either people espousing conspiracy theories or you see people frustrated with people espousing conspiracy theories. I mean, insofar as YouTube is part of popular culture, I'm, I, I'm actually get concerned for both our students and our own kid, not that he's exhibited any tendency toward this, but uh, th- that students spend a lot of time on YouTube and there's just so much disinformation on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. People ranting and I worry that we haven't given our kids the tools to be able to distinguish between good sources of information and bad sources, and that these these conspiracy theories are going to be even more prevalent in the years to come. Yeah, I agree. Back in my day, you know, all we worried about was whether or not kids were on our lawn, right? And now we wonder what sort of misinformation they're spreading, what sort of damage that misinformation is doing, how they're they're doing it, um, how they're being helped to do it by yeah. people who have interest in conspiracy theories being spread. Yeah, it's a it's a complicated and ugly world of conspiracy yeah. theories. I mean, there's this this tension between uh, the value that we place on free speech and um, other f- forms of liberty when it comes to engaging on the internet, and then the real harm it can do. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're telling conspiracy theories about rigged elections or about um, systems of underground pedophilic satan worshiping baby eaters yeah, yeah in the case of QAnon, um that, that i mean that stuff it's not just innocuous i i have for i'm not teaching intro anymore but um at, at least right now um but when i was teaching intro and we were doing the unit on epistemology um i gave him a writing prompt on conspiracy theories and what you know what the students attitudes were toward conspiracy theories and overwhelmingly the student's response was, they're fun. They're mm-hmm. entertaining. Yeah, I've I talked to my students about them as well, and I get the same response. And for the longest time, I, I felt that way myself, right? But this mm-hmm. was before they, they got out of control. And yeah. certainly there have been damaging conspiracy theories throughout history. So it's not always the case, right? But, um, you know, I remember 
you know, watching movies in my childhood like Chariots of the Gods that, you know, go to great lengths to, to make it seem very plausible that Stonehenge and um, the statues on Easter Island were put there by aliens. Mm -hmm. They're pretty innocuous, right? I mean, if, if everybody starts believing that, so what? There's, there's not a badness there. And then the modern version of it, you know, that, that um, I used as an example a couple times in our recent um, collection on conspiracy theories on the philosophy of conspiracy theories was, you know, birds aren't real. So you got you know, a whole bunch of kids running around going, yeah, birds aren't real and I can prove it. So what? Yeah. But that, yeah. that was a more innocent time, right? Um, and, and now even, even with the innocuous ones, there's a worry that the, the you know, willing to believe whatever without um, having good reason to do so makes it easier for someone to accept one that's not innocuous. Mm -hmm. Never thought that humans were all that tethered to the truth. Uh, we're kind of inclined to believe what we want to believe, and then we have, uh, we're far too, I think, complementary of ourselves when it comes to our, uh, the extent to which we're rational and the extent to which we're reasons responsive and that we care about truth. Um, right. But I think that, you know, more and more as these conspiracy theories spread, um, we run the risk of becoming completely untethered. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. So I, when I think about pop culture in terms of, you know, television and movies and that type of thing, I think about um, The X-Files. And this was my favorite show for at least a decade. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked it. When I look back on it, I haven't watched it in a while. But Was, when that, I, was that when it first ran starting then? Mm -hmm. Or was it something you came to later? And I came, I came to it while I was still running, but, uh, you know, it, it, it started... Uh, it started running when I was quite young, mm -hmm. I won't, so um, it wouldn't have been really age appropriate for me to start watching it when it was aired. Yeah. So, but, so the decade extends beyond the initial air date. Yeah. Plus a couple of yeah. years. Yeah. I I want to say that it started running in '94 or something like that. Ninety. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. Between between '92 and '94, somewhere in there. Um. But so that as I look back on it, though, I realize that that show really glorified conspiracy theories. Like, so, mm -hmm. so you've got the, um, you've got the skeptic mm -hmm. and you've got the true believer essentially. And Mulder, other than, um, in the case of Christianity, Mulder's will. So the only thing that Scully has that, that might be, that some people might categorize as, you know, belief, well, we'll just say belief on the acceptance of faith mm -hmm. would be that, that she's Christian. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Mulder, other than that, is willing to believe or willing to take seriously just about any, mm -hmm. um, any, you know, weird sci-fi supernatural explanation for events. Right. And it's presented as a virtue, right? They, they, they make mm -hmm. a great team because he can go beyond her overly yeah. rigid constraints he's he's open-minded right yeah, that's right, right. you know and so and, and and really in most contexts you know i i think initially it's presented as if it's like the, these people are going to balance one another out um but really what happens over the course of the show is scully just moves further and further and further in Mulder's direction they're like mm -hmm. oh my that that her um, scientific worldview was too rigid and unyielding, and that people really just need to take into account more possibilities and be more uh, um, 
credulous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you can see the damage that that shift has done, right? You know, fast forward, you know, 30 something years and now she's playing Margaret Thatcher. So it's, uh... <laughs> what happened to her? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Scully the Thatcher. What's that? Scully the Thatcher, right? That's, <laughs> that's a real regression. Right. So also in the X-Files, you see the... Um, there was a show, they, they had a spinoff show, and it was based on this group, if I'm remembering this correctly. That So there's this group that Mulder will go to um, at various points throughout the show, the Lone Gunman. And they're this group of three people that investigate conspiracy theories. And in that, you know, the way it's portrayed, they always actually have the answers, mm-hmm. right? And so it really glorifies conspiracy thinking. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so I think... You know, critical to discussion of philosophical concepts surrounding conspiracy theories, you got to think about epistemic virtues. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, a lot of people that entertain conspiracy theories uh, think that they're exercising epistemic virtue that everyone else isn't exercising. Right, right. And just um, before you elaborate on that a little bit, I'm thinking, you know, shows like The X-Files sort of present conspiracy theories as, you know, um, belief in them as a way to be epistemically virtuous. But what makes most shows about espionage or, you know, um, shows about government access and things like that interesting is the thing that happens that you don't expect to happen. So even when they're not overtly saying, let's think about conspiracy theories in this way, these things are always about conspiracy theories, right? Mm-hmm. You watch JFK and it's about a conspiracy theory and you watch... You know, a, a you know um, Patriot Games type um, show from movie from the '80s, right? And it's about a conspiracy theory, right? Because they it, need there to be a twist for it to be entertaining. Yeah, it's, it's not interesting if the government functions as it's supposed to, right? So, so it's, you know, I mean, we've we've been bombarded with this even when it's not as right. overt. And then, and the leading person is always somebody who's um, intellectually and, and specifically epistemically virtuous in the way that you're about mm-hmm. to describe, because. Right. They were able to think outside the box. They were able to look past, you know, um, mm-hmm. standard operating procedure. I mean, and, and contributing to that is the fact that some conspiracies, conspiracy theories are true. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's a very, it's a small subset of the, the conspiracy theories. Yeah, I've never actually seen a real bird, for instance. <laughs> no. no, but I mean, um, I was mentioning to you, I saw someone in a comment thread. Uh, they were talking about... Um, uh, whether they were going to get vaccinated when the COVID vaccine comes out. And mm-hmm. it, it was a person of color. And um, they were talking about like uh, um, their unwillingness to get vaccinated because of the Tuskegee syphilis experiments mm-hmm. that were done on black people. So, I mean, yeah, uh, I can understand that reluctance. Right, why? Like you might start to think, oh, uh, there's some history of the government conspiring against a particular of my a person of my particular um, mm-hmm. group so it, that might erode trust amongst that group and that makes sense it's that's reasonable couldn't agree more so what epistemic virtues do people who um, are inclined to accept conspiracy theories think they're exercising I think one is that they are uh, exercising a healthy skepticism. Mm-hmm. And 
I, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, well, to what extent has, has culture supported that, right? I mean, there are good reasons to be skeptical of things. I mean, uh, you're less likely to uh, believe lies if you're skeptical, mm-hmm. maybe. Right, right. I mean, it gets tied in for a lot of people with being a critical thinker, right? Mm-hmm. And this is one of the sort of rallying cries of conspiracy theorists. Yeah. Don't just accept things. Don't be a, a sheeple. Yeah. Right. Think think critically. And, you know, so we teach courses on critical thinking. Um, and, you know, being a skeptical thinker, you know, is a very small part of that, if any part of it at all, right? Mm-hmm. Across the discipline. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot more to it. But, you know, some folks will just sort of substitute this this kind of skepticism. But, in, but but we do teach teach our students, you know, I mean, we do whole units on Descartes where it's like, okay, doubt everything that can possibly be doubted. Now, and, listen, and, I'm not going to do this. If this is another one of those episodes where you bash epistemologists for 90 minutes, <laughs> I'm, I'm checking out. But yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I've, you know, in, in my modern philosophy courses and in my epistemology courses, you know, we, we start by glorifying Cartesian skepticism and demand a healthy response to it. Well, then I think, though, that being skeptical, there might be something to the idea of being skeptical as a virtue. Um, If that skepticism is, like, apt, if it... I'm thinking about some sort of possible world analysis, uh, like safety sensitivity kind Mm -hmm. of... You know, if it tracks real considerations about the world, then maybe maybe skepticism is, is warranted, but... Right, it needs to be in service to something like, you know, properly evidence. tracking belief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and good yeah. evidence, right? right? It so can't be the goal itself, right? Because, the goal has to be truth. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be that bad if people were just generally skeptical, um, although it would result in things like people not getting vaccinated and things like that. But, um, but that's, that's not where it stops, right? So people are skeptical of the mainstream narrative, mm-hmm. of, of a narrative that appears to be supported by evidence, and, but then they go on to uh, embrace another narrative mm-hmm. that they're not skeptical about. Um, right, right. So this is this is somehow the conspiracy theorist bridging the gap from being skeptical to managing to accept mm-hmm. a conspiracy theory um, for which there's never any evidence other than you know a competing hypothesis that that is only minimally plausible, right? Mm-hmm. And or if at all. I mean, like yeah. QAnon has zero plausibility to it. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's only logically plausible insofar as there could be a pizza parlor and it could have a basement and there yeah. could be people in it. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not. But yeah, so, you know, something like, um, you know, confirmation bias or a desire to believe certain things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and I believe in some cases this is kind of earnest. Right. Where people get so used to being skeptical that their skepticism morphs into this sort of distrust and then this, you know, of governments, of news agencies, of, you know, certain narratives. And then that distrust turns into uh, a mechanism for automatically believing the worst, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, we see people that, that don't believe in conspiracy theories do this all the time. Um, when, you know, politicians of one party do a certain thing, there's a whole bunch of other people that will instantly say, well, that's for evil purposes. You know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the time Obama wore the brown suit, you know, and clearly that was part of a socialist plot instantly in the minds of some. And you didn't have to be a conspiracy theorist, although it kind of made you one, 
to, mm-hmm. to buy into that, right? I mean, it's the tribalist. Yeah, it's not just element. yeah. So, um, Kasim Kassam makes this argument in his book on conspiracy theories that uh, all conspiracy theories are ultimately political, um, and I I don't know if I agree with that, but um, as part of being political, he makes a point that uh, they often have racist um, overtones mm-hmm. or undertones. I, I, um, like a lot of uh, conspiracy theories are at their core anti-Semitic. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot. I, I think a lot of contemporary um, conspiracy theories are at their core um, racist against Black people. Mm-hmm. Right. That um, but, you know, finding some way to uh, manipulate the narrative um, so that it meets your tribalistic interests, yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm not, so by saying that, I'm not saying that um, all people who believe conspiracy theories are racists or anti-Semites or something like that, but that uh, there are often those strains at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so this, this idea that secretly Jewish people are pulling the strings or in charge of everything, right? This has been a, a long-standing conspiracy theory that makes its way into you know, sort of this gen is this general conspiracy theory that makes its way into all of the more specific conspiracy yeah, the, theories. Yeah, the instantiations of it. Okay, so in defense of the epistemic tradition and you know the, the teaching of skepticism, certainly being skeptical has a role to play, right? It's it's a, a kind of virtue, uh, but skepticism for its own sake, right? can't just count as, as a virtue. As I said, it, these things have to be, you know, in service of our goal of achieving truth, right? If, if you're just the doubting Thomas, um, you know, then that's not um, going to be virtuous at all. And certainly you don't want to use the skepticism as a launching point, you know, um, as a reason to believe anything else, right? Somebody says something, I don't want to believe it because they're the ones saying it, whether they're the government or the news, or the opposite political party. So instead, I'm going to, you know, substitute that um, what they're telling me, you know, for what they're telling me, something else entirely for which I have no evidence. Um, all right. So that that sort of raises the question, right? If that's the bad model, right, and it, and it certainly seems to be, then then what sort of you know intellectual virtues um, should we be looking for in these? these kinds of things, right? Um, and it seems fairly straightforward to some extent. Evidence. Rely on evidence. Make <laughs> decisions on the basis of evidence, right? But even that should be in service of this goal of achieving truth. And I just, I wonder if conspiracy theorists are even at all interested in truth. Is it better to be in the club? Is it, you know, where one goes, all go, or whatever the QAnon motto is, is it, you know, we're all in this together. Is it great to be the person shaking things up so much that you don't give a darn about? Well, QAnon in, in particular, I think it's it's a vehicle to let people hate liberals, right? I mean, so if, if they're not identifying something that seems genuinely deserving of hate, cooking up a conspiracy theory about Democrats eating babies is going to cook up like there's no way the Democrats could be right about that one. Yeah. You know? yeah right, <laughs> so I right. mean, it, uh, that's how it comes across to me. I mean, and and it, and I, I find it, and I'm, I'm not trying to get too political here, but I find it 
um, <laughs> disheartening that the same group of people who were just, you know, upset as can be that people were accusing Kavanaugh of potentially being a rapist without evidence mm -hmm. uh, are, are now accusing the entire group of liberals of being pedophiles yeah, and Satan right, worshippers right. and, and in some cases, baby eaters. Right. Cannibalistic. <laughs> I mean, uh, so, yeah. yeah um, going back to um, the discussion of our, our students a little bit earlier. Um, so you said that the students find conspiracy theories fun and I sort of hijacked that part of the conversation by giving some examples where I thought they were fun. But I'm, I'm curious, do they find these conspiracy theories fun? Um, are they enjoying things like QAnon? And by the way, QAnon, if you're listening, um, you should send this podcast to every member and have them all subscribe so you can you know, incorporate <laughs> us into um, you know, your... your um, conspiracy theory your no, no thank you please don't do that uh, and then you know our patreon information you know is at the end um, <laughs> um okay but let's not aside, take that money yeah no no we, we well we'd gladly donate it to charity um do do the students find these i mean you know I, um, I was suggesting earlier that conspiracy theories are now are really ugly and i guess i never got to that are the ugly ones fun for them because they're not for me yeah uh this these issues have been extremely politicized um and so and uh, all these issues that we've been talking about are like are coming together because um there's a lot of spread of misinformation on the internet and some of the students have seen some of this crazy misinformation um there's, I also think that when it comes to QAnon in particular, um, they've hijacked a, an actual important movement, which is um, to stop sex trafficking. Right, so, right. I mean, I think that this is something that, this is just a linchpin of um, conspiracy theories is they take something that um, you have good reason to believe is true. And then they find... Other explanations, often kind of wacky explanations to explain why that thing is true, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, we've always, from the beginning of time, to sound like a freshman level paper, mm -hmm. um, we've, we've had problems with sex trafficking. It's always been a thing in human history. So, uh, yeah, that's a legit problem. And, and, and this is what really gets lost. We have real skilled people in law enforcement working on this problem, right? Mm -hmm. They know they, they do their job well. They, they know, um, the circumstances under which, uh, child sex trafficking is likely to occur. Yeah. Um, I, I've been reading stories in the news about this, how their, their workload has, you know, more than quadrupled, um, because of all the QAnon people calling in with leads that they have to investigate. Yeah. yeah I mean, they're just wasting valuable time and resources. Right. So, it, what ends up happening is that people who are concerned about child sex trafficking, which we all should be, end up kind of getting persuaded by little bits of QAnon until they're eating larger and larger bites. And then uh, next thing you know, they they believe in QAnon. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah. So, so I guess in, in direct response to your question, um, it really depends on the political orientation of the student and what they're kind of already inclined to believe anyway. And I'm not trying to, you know, diss the students here because I think this is true of all of us to some degree, but we're in such a hyper tribalized, um, divided political moment yeah. that what, you know, 
everybody should say QAnon is nuts, yeah. right? This is, if anything is just flagrantly, obviously false, it's QAnon. Right, right, um, right. And yet, and yet, in the bizarre political moment you're in, you have to walk on pins and needles to even talking about QAnon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know it's crazy. I I don't understand um, the impulse even when it's tribal. So, um, you know, and, I, and I'm certainly subject to this kind of thing. I'm I'm more apt to be charitable towards certain politicians and not others. Um, but as sort of ugly as things have been of late, uh, maybe an apt description of me during the last election was, you know, metaphorically, four months in the fetal position. I mean, you know, it wasn't like... This most recent election. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't just like, boy, I wanted my side to do well and the other one to not. It was just like, this was just horrible, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And in part because of things like conspiracy theories and in part just because of the, you know, um, usual mudslinging that goes on mm-hmm. and, um, you know, other sort of threats um, pertaining to it. But... Yeah, it's a little shocking to me, um, just insofar as anything that, that adds to the, you know, um, divide in our country mm-hmm. just causes me great deals of anxiety, regardless of what quarters it's coming from. So mm-hmm. I, would, I would hope the kids, um, you know, but maybe, I don't know, younger me might have been the same way, you know, 18-year-old to 22-year-old me in college might have been, yeah, shake it up, you know. I'm thinking there's there's some value to that when in fact things being shook up for the most part um, is bad, right? Um, depending on what you're talking about. So uh, it's it it's interesting to think about the ways in which um, philosophical develops developments might have contributed to what what we're dealing with, our orientation to truth in contemporary culture. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, I'm just going to interject. I'm Philosophy, yeah, especially epistemologist. I'm back to not taking any credit for this, and I'm blaming it all on Shakespeare. It's this: there are more things, you know, um, than you know, in heaven than are dreamt of in your philosophy. It's that kind of thinking. No. Yeah, you, you academics don't know everything. You know, um, that forces me to be more of a scully or more. More of a molder, less of a scully. <laughs> Shakes is to blame. Go on. Anyway. No, and you're not more of a molder than a scully. Um, I am now. Because uh, <laughs> okay. of Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. I'm thinking more about like intellectual traditions that reject the existence of objective truth um, and, and what role they might have had to play. And so uh, Harry Frankfurt has a great set of companion pieces. At least I, re- I, I read them as companion pieces to one another. I think they're supposed to be companion pieces there. And this is one of the books, one of these is a book you can always find if you go to Barnes and Noble into the philosophy section. They're not a wide range of philosophy books that you can always hope to find at Barnes and Noble, but go to Barnes and, well, don't go to Barnes and Noble because of the pandemic, but when you can go to Barnes and Noble, go there and you will find this book Uh um, on bullshit. On bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, Uh, Initially, I think just an article he wrote and then yeah, Listen, there's a short piece, a book. Um, and and the the companion piece to it is on truth, mm-hmm. and um, they're they're I highly recommend them. They're just short little. I think you know I I certainly was a, I got them on audiobook, and I was certainly able to listen to each of them in a single day. And I might be misremembering this, but I think I was listening to them on like 1.5 speed, and I had listened to them in like an hour. So mm-hmm. I mean they're really digestible. Anyway. Um, 
in that, in, I can't remember if it's on truth or on bullshit. Um, Frankfurt points the finger at, at postmodernism a little bit about where, and, and this was before the 2016 election mm-hmm. and, and on everything that has come since. But he kind of points the finger at postmodernism when it comes to um, a tendency for people to, well, really to, to accept this idea that there might be alternative facts or that there is no one right answer or that we can really deconstruct everything. Mm-hmm, right. Every perspective is equally, equally valid. valid. And yeah. so that, so now, and that gets to be really problematic when you've got um, a society that is deeply divided and, ha- and is very tribalistic. And you're also, you know, you're trying to make public policy that makes sense. You're trying to maximize utility or whatever. And, um, while respecting rights and, and this kind of thing. And nobody feels like there's a single truth to be arrived at. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, that, oh, and in fact, you're being disrespectful of the other side if you're insisting that there is a fact of the matter. Mm-hmm. Right. So kind of arrogance, hubris, even if you're an expert, even right. if, you know. Right. Uh-huh. Right. So you, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I do. I think that there's you're a like. You're neurosurgeon and you're saying there's a lesion in this part of the brain and this scan shows it. Yeah. And, some poet somewhere sits back and goes, well, that's one way of looking at yeah. it. And don't be the jerk that, that calls <laughs> out the poet, right? So. Yeah. All of this said, you know, we're talking about different, you know, analyses coming from different philosophers or ways that we might have been trained to think as a result of being exposed to certain philosophies like Descartes or postmodernism or something like that. But at the end of the day, I wonder if that's just an intellectual exercise because um, a lot of the people who... Um, believe conspiracy theories don't know anything about Descartes or postmodernism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, but but on the other hand, regardless of whether they've studied philosophy, philosophy is part of our cultural landscape. And and whether someone can point to an idea and say that originated with Descartes. Um, yeah, no. This is our friend Joe's idea. Of certain things are just out there, right? They, <laughs> yeah, and they may have come from philosophy, but now, you know. Mm-hmm. Cartesian skepticism is the kind of thing that almost everybody knows about. They come into the classroom and they'll say, let's talk about that. And they'll say, well, what's that? Mm-hmm. Right? And then you say, how do you know you're not in a simulation? And they're like, oh, yeah, I've thought about that before. Yeah, and, the, and, and, it, and it, makes, it, it makes its way in to the public consciousness through popular culture, right, too, in many ways. Obviously, we've done episodes of the podcast about it before, like The Matrix and those kinds yeah. of things. And then, boom, they know Descartes. Yeah, so we're, we're the ones that... I'm now not blaming Shakespeare, but I'm blaming us. So Pop culture and philosophy podcast. Pop, yeah, it's not epistemologist. <laughs> it's not Shakespeare. Um, speaking of things that are out there, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. There's a, a game that the kids like to play um, called FMK, and, and we're not going to play that. Um, but since you mentioned Frankfurt, I know that your favorite um, philosophers are Frankfurt, um, <laughs> Mill, and Camus. So we're going to play Mary, not Mary, not Mary, quick. Not Mary, any of them. No, you got to pick one. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, then I'm picking Camus for you. Okay, Rates, what are we liking this week? Well, we just started watching The Comedy Store on HBO, which is, re- I think, really fun. It's about... Um, well, so there was, a, was the other show on Showtime too? There yeah. was a show called I'm Dying Up Here. Yeah, that was also on Showtime. And... Yeah, and it was about um, st- stand-up comedy and in particular uh, 
the comedy stores, the comedy essentially. Stores. That's not what it was called, and I'm dying up here, I don't think. But. Right. I mean, sort of interestingly, it, it's based on a book about the comedy store mm-hmm. um, called I'm Dying Up Here, but then they fictionalized the Showtime show, mm-hmm. right? And so it's got people that um, very much resemble certain characters from the comedy store. Um, the owner, of course, um, Mitzi Shore, and um, comedians that broke out. Um, and but the that, comedy store is an, a documentary. It's a documentary. Yeah. And so uh, seeing that after I'm dying up here, it's it's a lot of fun to kind of go, oh, wow, that character was, you know, Jimmy J.J. Walker. Or, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. character was Freddie Prinze and so forth. But it's pretty remarkable because, I mean, just every comedian you can think of came through there. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny to... Um, See the ones who Mitzi Shore didn't like. Yeah. Like Louis C.K. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, who, and her mannerisms and not like him. Oh, I don't like you. You're not funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if, if you're enjoying a, or want to enjoy a good documentary and you're interested in that part of pop culture history, um, completely worthwhile. I mean, and it's fun to watch just as like a, a comedy because, you know, even though it's a documentary, there's some pretty funny jokes. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's good, especially at times like these, you know. Hilarious bits. One of the things I'm noticing is sometimes they talk about their bad bits. And, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, I did this routine and it just failed. And I'm just like, that's hilarious, right? <laughs> I mean, even the, you know, the, the standards were so high that, um, you know, the, the stuff that misses is great, too. And they're, I mean, they're interviewing the real comics. Um, so it's st- just star-studded in a way that you... Just wouldn't imagine Jay Leno, David Letterman, Louis mm-hmm. C.K. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Walker. Um, they didn't interview Robin Williams. I don't know why. Um, Miss Robin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tons of folks from from back then. Okay, what else are we? Um... We finally finished Love Craft Country and give it an endorsement. Yeah, yeah, and, and in fact, it, it got weird. The last four or five episodes. Um, and was even better. So I was yeah, just, liking just it before. Yeah, just the first four or five episodes. There were, oh, I was about to spoil pretty significantly. So it was yeah. pretty weird from the beginning. Yeah, it was weird from the start, but it got really weird. And the weirder it got, the, the more I liked it. Yeah. Um, I hope they do more of it. I don't know if it's a, a one-off. What I read is it hasn't been renewed yet. But it is pretty self-contained, and, and it would be fine that way. Um, yeah, so uh, great um, references to Lovecraft. Uh, lots of good social commentary, um, mm-hmm. race relations at that time that seemed to bear on, um, you know, current times as well. So highly endorsed. And then the flight we, attendant, the flight attendant. And so we've seen they just dropped the last two episodes of the first season. Um, so we'd, we've seen the first three. Um, I'm still kind of waiting to be sold. I like the premise, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um needs to to get snappier yeah i agree okay rach that's a wrap another episode is in the can and once again everything has come up charbonneau please visit our webpage that's i think therefore i fan.com all one word to find out about upcoming episodes if you would like to support i think therefore i fan please go to the webpage Click on the link at the top of the page that says Donate and follow the instructions. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Finally, if you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It helps. See you next time.